thinking of a player that's outside of the age curve but would actually help take the pressure off Kanate to be the man right now would you take I do think he is a very very good centre-back and and I think he you know if you could get him a, a reasonable price you know he would be he would be a good candidate and that's a bad shout at all 89 93 86 99 98 100 no those are not this week's lotto numbers and no those are not the numbers from lost those are in fact the not the points required for the last six seasons of the premier league that has crowned the winner the champions and why are we talking about that because this podcast is all about focusing on dethroning the king what can our teams do one requires a miracle to dc dethrone and upset Man City and get back to the top of the Premier League table. This is One Kick from Glory. We're going to be discussing all things Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea this week. And I'm joined. It's a full house today. We've got Matthew, mm-hmm. we've got Craig, yeah. we've got Marcus. Hey. And we are going to have a lot of fun today. And we're going to start off with the team that are the most likely challenger to that throne if we go by tradition rather than recent seasons. And of course, we're going to start off at Merseyside, in Liverpool. So, Mark, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking this uh, this week about this podcast and about Man City for many reasons. One, thank you so much for Declan Rice. Greatly appreciated. Enya Luko was right. I'll explain more a bit later. But secondly, and probably most importantly, they're bloody annoying. They are so <laughs> annoying. But ultimately, our teams have got to figure out a solution to dethrone them. And you guys have gone toe-to-toe with them more than us recently and you've kind of gotten close enough. You've beat them once and you've been unfortunate on a few other occasions not to get there. But hopefully the Premier League will figure out 115, not points, charges, what to do about that. But um, looking at Liverpool now, overview going into next season, like how do you feel your chances are and what do you think needs to be done this summer to close that gap? Yeah, obviously last season wasn't, ideal um and wasn't the season we was hoping for and obviously miles and miles behind city so a lot needs to be done um you know i think some of the 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 workings of that have begun with with the signing of alexi McAllister. i think it's clear for all to see that liverpool probably need one or two more um question marks still about whether or not trent's going to go into midfield and do liverpool need a right back um do liverpool need another center back um and are liverpool going to replace bobby firmino i think are the big questions um around um replacements from a from a squad perspective um you know if um if somebody could just kind of wander up the road to Manchester and make Brock Lesnar disappear, then that would give us a bit of a better chance. Um, but, you know, I think we all can identify and feel strongly about that for all our clubs, um, you know. But, yeah, I think I think Liverpool need, obviously, still another, another what I would consider marquee midfield signing. So, you know, I think McAllister's good business, but, you know, he... He isn't a marquee signing. Um, you know, I think Liverpool need a marquee midfielder. Um, and and then, they, like I said, determine what they're going to do with, with Trent and is he going to play midfield the, the whole way next season. Um, and if he is a right back, I think Verge is getting a bit older um, and, you know, more easy to take on. Um, so another, another centre-back. Um, but, you know, the profile is the profile, you know, between the ages of 21 and 24. You know, 
not overly expensive um, and preferably, um, you know, heading towards their prime years, um, you know, and, and I think I think in that regard, you know, the, the, the exception might be that Liverpool may potentially get up to sort of 60, 65 million um, for a centre midfielder and decided that Mason Mount wasn't wasn't worth that. Um, so, you know, ball rolls on. Valverde, Sabozloy, I think are the, the two names linked at the moment and would be quite happy with either of them. Yeah, I think that, that idea of midfield reinforcement is going to be key because we've known for a while since Genie left, you've been kind of searching for that replacement. And we've, we can kind of say that McAllister, I think, comfortably is that person to replace him. As further to that, you're looking at Hendo, you're looking at um, Thiago, you're looking at Fabinho, three players who have been important in what you've done over the years but three players who for different reasons need to be moved on Fabinho looks like he's 86 and not the 30 or so years he should be Thiago can never stay fit which is just a shame because if he could it would be great and then Henderson's Henderson like he's a very good player but there's a limit to what he can do and, and looking at what Trent's brought in the back in the last season what he showed for England finally Gareth it's not hard is it just start Trent wasn't hard it was really easy wasn't it Gosh, it showed you what you can do. And at the end of the day, when you've got a player, as you said, Mark, on numerous occasions, when you've got a player that's that good, you find a way to make it work, right? Every other international manager does it, but somehow, some way, Mr. Waistcoat didn't want to. <laughs> but it's a good talk about midfield. Um, obviously, you've you mentioned Firmino, you're not really sure whether the club would make a move to replace him in a direct way. I know you've got options up there. You've got Jota. You've got um, Cody Gakpo, who's probably going to be used more through the middle, I guess, which is going to be interesting to see his development there. And of course, Darwin Nunez. I mean, thinking about those three in particular and looking at closing that gap to Manchester City, numbers-wise, how many goals are you hoping for from those three next season? Yeah, I also think a player you missed who is going to be probably instrumental and probably start part of the front three starting regularly is um, Luis Diaz. Um, recently took the number seven shirt. He spent a lot of last year injured. Um, so I think Luis Diaz will be will be instrumental. Um, and, you know, between him and Salah, you probably want 35 Premier League goals. Um, and then whoever your guy in the middle is needs to be needs to be hitting 20. Um, so if Jota starts the most of them games, if Gapco or or um, Darwin starts most of them games, I think, I think, you know, the one who's the one who, well, at least one of them needs to be getting 20 goals. And then, you know, if, you know, the other two can chip in and contribute when they're playing, then, you know, you, you've got a really good attack there with lots of potential goals and, and all, to, all I guess, kind of all tournaments covered. Um, I think you think Gapco was probably that Firmino replacement, but, you know, you, you never know whether or not they, they may, you know, chance their arm elsewhere. But, um, but yeah, I think I think all in all, you know, Salah is going to be the main man still, and going to be the man that you expect to to be really bringing it home. And then and then you know you need to see which one of the rest of them are able to step up. And and then it is just a matter of settling into into comfortable form because you know if you can get say for example you know Gapco and Diaz hitting a good purple patch of form, then you know they're going to have Jota, they're going to have Nunes, you know you know, itching at their feet for a place in that squad and 
And I think that's important to have the type of attacking competition so that if you do go two or three games without a goal, there's someone there ready to jump in and tech your spot. And that puts the pressure on you then. Like, you know, something that Arsenal missed last year with, you know, Gabriel Jesus, the when he was injured, you know, and, you know, Eddie NKA stepped in, you know, Gabriel Jesus was guaranteed his spot back the minute he came back from injury because, you know, there, there wasn't that type of competition there that was like, okay, if you lose your spot here, you're going to have to fight for it back. And that often makes players better. So, you know, I think that competition among Liverpool's attack is is there. And I think that's a, a good thing for Liverpool going into the new season. Yeah, I think that competition is going to be important and we'll see how things develop as the season's on. We're not done with Liverpool just yet. I'm going to speak to the other guys and see some things they have in mind on Liverpool. And I, firstly, I want to talk about weaknesses from an opposition perspective. So I was going to start with you, Matthew, on this. So obviously we, we, we know that there's been lots of memes and jokes about Virgil. And, and as Mark said, you know, they he's not getting any younger and they would want to get some players in alongside him that can, one, keep him sharp because when you know you're the man and you're always going to play, you, your standards can drop a little bit. We've seen that as Arsenal fans over the years as some of our key players when they kind of get a bit bitty, big bees for themselves <laughs> and they sort of drop off. But when we look at that back line and the vulnerabilities that have been seen last season, from an offensive point of view, if if no changes happen, like they don't bring in any other players, how would you how do you think teams would exploit that next year going into the new season? I think they're gonna have a bit more confidence and just that losing that kind of fear factor that Virgil had when he first came on the scene. They're gonna see that as an opportunist moment. And that's exactly kind of what happened the year just gone. It happened the year after they won the championship where they finished, I think they finished third. Players were kind of losing that kind of fear and respect for certain players. Obviously they admire them at just how good they are, but it's just like it's no longer the same player that worked so hard to get to where they were that's going to be playing anymore. On both occasions where Liverpool fell off was after they won the league and after they went hell for leather, like the closest to getting the quadruple, you notice the severe decline in how they just, def their, their, their defence has completely nutly crumbled. Plus there was a whole thing with Trent and eventually moving into the, you know, into the midfield where he was longing to be. So if anything, moving him from there is A, given the spot to another defender they can bring in and B, it allowed him to kind of, you know, show the player that he's always meant to be. So it's a win-win kind of on their side. I mean, as good as Trent is, Trent has always been known to go forward defensively. It's, he's, he, he doesn't, it doesn't look like he likes doing it. He can do it, but it doesn't look like he likes doing it. He's much, his mind is always kind of like, it kind of reminds me of what we did with David Luiz all those years ago at Chelsea, where putting him in the midfield, allowed him just have a little bit more fun, a little bit more freedom and allow someone else to take up in defence. Um, but Liverpool have got to be, I think, in this window, looking for a centre-back. I mean, I wouldn't have necessarily have any recommendations because I'm too focused on what Chelsea are doing at the moment because they're just going, oh, it's absolutely mad. But I think it's another centre-back, kind of a centre-back that's going to like a mid to rising centre-back that's A, going to keep him on his toes and B, can deputise should an injury come by if he drops out of form, just to kind of put that, not necessarily the fear factor, but just to kind of stabilise the kind of, the, the bat line that they had. It was, when they got Virgil in the first place, it was such a coup, such a, and then during a trans, January transfer window as well. So to get back to that kind of like level that they have will take time, but if, if Virgil's looking a bit floppy, defend strikers off, off midfielders, attacking midfielders, we're rubbing their hands. I want to I throw a question at you on the back of that then. Looking across the Premier League, 
because it makes it easier for us to think of players. Who would you go out and buy for Liverpool to go into their team from any team within reason of budget? Let's say you, you're going to put £60 million on a player. Whether Liverpool will spend that much, I don't know. But let's say you'd spend £60 million on a, on a centre-back to join that Liverpool back line to push them to the title. Who are you picking up? You know what? Who's good? And I hate, admit to, I hate to admit how good he is. But number six, Gabriel Arsenal. I think he did pretty well. And 60 million does seem like a fair-ish estimate. I mean, would you take would no. you, Would you take 60? 100. 100? Yeah. He's that important for us. He's our best defender. Irrespective <laughs> of what people might think about Saliba, Gabriel's our best defender. 100 million pounds, you can have him. Craig is laughing. Craig, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I mean, but 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 on that note, like, who would you looking across the league? And there's a lot of options to pick. Who would you think would be that defender that you think okay, we Liverpool could make a bid for him, max sixty pounds to million pounds to spend. Who's the defender you'd look at and say okay, that's a guy they should go for? Crystal Palace defender Mark Gay. I think he's a top defender. I think he's going to be a very good defender. I think if he goes to Liverpool, plays Europa League football, get experience of playing against like different type of def- attackers. And it's, look how well he's done at Crystal Palace. Since he's been there, he's captain sometimes as well when the main captain's not available. He becomes like captain of the team. He's young, he's English. He'll be the, and he's only like 24 years old. So he's quite young. So he, he's got a lot. He's got a big career ahead of him. I think he'll do well in Liverpool's defence next to Van Dijk. Or Konate. So, what do you think, Marcus? Yeah, I was going to say, Mark, who's the guy? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure he's good enough. Um, but I also think that's a tough question when you look across the Premier League because I'm not sure there's a lot of there's a lot of real realistic options available um, when you look across the the Premier League. You know, obviously Levi Colwell um, was on loan at. Brighton last year and looks like a, a good player that can both play in centre back and defensive mid. Um and you know, I, I, I think I think if I remember correctly, Chelsea turned down a thirty million pound bid from Brighton uh for for him. So, you know, that that's a that's a player who, you know, would come with a level of interest from a from a Premier League perspective that I think has got some talent and, you know, Chelsea are in the mood for selling players so I guess if we was going to contribute to the Chelsea financial fair play fund um he would be the the one I would the one I would go for um but um but I think you're probably you're probably looking abroad and elsewhere if you're if you're looking at center backs and you know there's 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 been certain rumors of a couple in Germany and um a couple in Italy um as well um so you know I think Florentina have a centre back called Milosevic who has been linked with us, and then there's Delit um, at Bayern, um, and then there was the the other guy who you mentioned last week. I think he's easy at Wolfsburg. Um, oh yeah, it's also um, linked with Tottenham. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I I think you know young, twenty two to twenty four, you know. Yeah, he fits the profile. I just, I just don't know whether or not I think he's good enough to, to step up. But you know, I think that is the profile. And you know, I think considering the fact that we're going to want a marquee centre midfielder, which I think is a more important discussion. Um, if Liverpool come out of this window with a couple more 
McAllisters and don't pick up a marquee centre midfielder, then you know I think they can write off competing with Man City next year. Um, I think that's much more important because I do think Canate has got the potential to be very, very good. And Van Dijk, you know, if he gets it together, is still a good centre-back pair with Massif and Gomez being able to kind of fill in the gaps where needed. But, you know, there is no denying that Liverpool need an, a, a marquee central midfielder if they're going to go to the next level. On that note, because, I, I mean, thinking of Canate as, as a, you know, he's very highly rated and he does start for France over Saliba, which does baffle me sometimes. But you know what? It's the French national team. It's, I, I get it and I don't get it. And it's fine. But thinking of a player that's outside of the age curve, but would actually help take the pressure off Canate to be the man right now, would you take Amaric Laporte from Man City on yeah, a I would. 35 mil deal? Yeah, I would. I would. I was I was just thinking about Laporte actually because he's like I say he's 29 so he's definitely outside of the the range age-wise but he's not getting the game time at Man City but I I do think he is a very very good center back and and I think he you know if you could get him a, a reasonable price you know he would be he would be a good candidate and that's a bad shout at all. Okay, so so what we're saying then, as like a, as a summary for Liverpool going into next season, for them to be able to win the title, we're looking for another marquee central midfielder. I know from last week's podcast we were saying Fede Valverde. There's also been he's not you're not linked to him right now, but there's been a weird internet chat about Shumani potentially being available for Real Madrid for sale, which is or loan, which is a very very interesting rumor. I know you wanted him last season and missed out because of you know politics <clears throat> the checkbook the ink being a bit dry on the checkbook so that could be an interesting one but let's say we get that you know there's that, that signing in and then an experienced or young def- defender but let's say Laporte because I think that would actually be a statement as well for him him going to Liverpool in a similar vein in like how Havertz has gone from Chelsea to Arsenal and if it's the same kind of language used and there's some very interesting things that Havertz said since joining Arsenal, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, because I really enjoyed those quotes. Um, but it, I think that, and of course your front, your front five or front six of options, so Nunes, Jota, Gakpo, Salah, Diaz, your front five guys, all getting around fifteen to twenty goals each in this in the league. I think that might do it, you know. And then Trent rocking up. Let's say he gets the assist record in the season. I think that that would be enough to get you guys to title. I think. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think as as I've said, I think the most important thing is who's that midfielder going to be, right? Because there's a lot of rumors at the moment, and there's a lot of names being thrown around, and some of them sound like they have good potential, but I I don't think they fit that kind of marquee kind of you know sweep that we're talking about when you think of like Kefren Turam or Manokone, um, mm. good young unproven players who you know, are not going to come in and be a marquee signing. You, you, the, the difference between, they're, they're even in, in my eyes, they fall behind the likes of McAllister because McAllister's Premier League proven, right? Um, so, you know, I think, I think, you know, when, you know, unless any other names come up, but of the names that have been rumoured, Fede Valverde, number one, Dominic Saboslo, number two, Barella, number three, I think, them three are all marquee signings. Any one of them three, I would be very happy with. But as is seen, for any one of them three, you're paying 60 million euros minimum. Like, um, some money's going to have to be spent, and Liverpool are going to have to decide who fits that profile. 
and who they want to spend the money on. There's talks of a minimum release clause in Sabozlo's contract. Um, so, you know, if Liverpool do want to trigger it, it's around 70 million euros, they're, they're saying. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that is the big question for Liverpool. And if we come out of this window and Liverpool um, don't have a marquee central midfield signing, then there's not a chance, um, in my opinion, that they'll, they'll compete with Man City for the title. All right. Well, I think that's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the window pans out. I think it's been quite interesting looking at deals done by a lot of teams. It feels like this transfer window has been split into three. A lot of teams trying to get their deals done before June 30. So it gets included in last season's books for financials, which is quite clever. Um, and also we know for you guys' sake, you have to move players on because you did not achieve any of your goals for last season. But anyway, we're going to dream now. That there's a possibility of you guys actually re- winning the title next season, even though right now it is about as likely as Santa Claus coming on August 31st and giving us all presents. Never know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the big man likes to heat. So Christmas, Christmas shops, they're everywhere. They are, but I don't think the big man's going to be here. But <laughs> let's let's talk about Chelsea. It's it's a very interesting time. You you've signed uh, a new young striker, or you're in the verge of signing a new young striker called yep, Michael ja- Jackson. Jackson from Villarreal. Yep. I mean, Chamon, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. If he can deliver, if he can be as memorable as Michael the Great, then that would be great. And obviously, there's been a lot of outgoings, and I'm going to save the Kai Havertz chat for when we get to Arsenal because I feel like it will be a much more spicier there and more appropriate. But right now, today we know Mason Mount's on the way out. Boyhood. Chelsea boy, which is a bit of a strange one from my point of view, and some of Cavett's kind of leaving comments make me feel like there's a lot more wrong in the camp than we know. That being said, this is about us having positive thoughts for the future. So, looking at your squad, as messy as it is, uh, you've got Pochettino in. What do you need to do, um, player-wise, to be able to say that you'll win the title over Man City? In this coming season, he's gonna need to get players or work with the whole bunch of players that he'll eventually have come to the start of the season and preseason. They're all right playing at a high intense level. That means playing with speed, playing with power, playing with pace, playing with all kinds of agility, which was all the things that we lacked for pretty much ninety five percent of the season. After like say when Tuchel left, we just had. No plans necessarily of what we were doing because the manager they didn't either didn't respect the manager their plan for a manager that was going and then Frank Lampard came in which kind of disarrayed the whole kind of thing and the whole the players that we had were just became bad literally overnight which wasn't the case when they arrived and there were likes of Sterling arrived he had Premier Leagues when likes of Mudrick arrived he had every club after him when Mudrick arrived they wanted him. They wanted him. Players want clubs wanted him. You wanted him. I know I wanted him, but you said yeah. every club. I'm like, not every Some club. Some clubs wanted him. Uh, a good number to pay of for us him. were happy to gamble. And we had all these other young, promising talents that had so much, like, all this potential, but they'd still do indeed have. I just think we need Name to write. Huh? Name some. Badashile. Madueke. Yeah, I rate Badashile. Madueke. Um, Fafana. No. Enzo. Fafana is, is not it. Mudrik. Enzo. No, I Mike could be. Enzo Mudrick, Fafano ain't it? I'm sorry, man. He's we're, being, we're being positive. We'll be trying. We're trying to be. <laughs> we're sorry. trying to be. Um, plus the signings, I think we will have to get. First of all, we've our midfield is now a big gaping hole. You know, our RLC is on his way. Georgian's obviously gone. Kovacic is gone. 
So that whole is Mount will probably be going in the next few days. So there's a nice Caicedo shaped hole ready to be waiting if May night because not being greedy and just let us have him. Just please, 35 million, 36 million, 40 million. Thank you very much. Keep going. Um, number, <laughs> they, they want 100. 40. 40. Yeah. You, you took covers for 65, so it's fine. Um, we also need, we, well, and our, you know, the best goalkeeper for 18 months, he's now gone. So we're going to need a, uh, a goalkeeper that's going to, not necessarily, I also think is give, give Kepa something to think about because that's what Mendy did. He came in and, for the time that he was there, he gave actually actually gave Kepa something that he needed to think about because, yes, he's been our best keeper this year, but he still wasn't as good as Mendy got to his peak at one point because he won the Champions League, all those international trophies, and Afcon in the space of a very short safe space of time, and we just need a more commanding keeper, someone who's good with long shots, someone who's gonna be just a bit more commanding, good with their feet. Kepa's a good shot stopper. He's also good at penalties, but he just doesn't have that command that you want in a box. So one keeper, he's going to be on his way out of his club that I want to pinch before someone else does. And there's David Rea from um, Brentford. Always really like what he does. And he's got, I think he's up for a decent-ish kind of, decent-ish price. And another keeper I kind of like, because he's a character and he showed that at the World Cup. I wouldn't mind having a pick a, your former keeper, Emmy Martinez. Got into, yeah. got, got into Europe. Hey, if you can do it to us, we can do it to them. Um, I think Aston Villa could relish that to kind of boost their squad going into Europe and compete, competing in all different fronts. Then there's the striker situation. Uh, Lukaku has recently rejected a move to Saudi Arabia, which suggests he's not going there. Uh, what he's going to do with us? Or what, or what Pochettino can bring from here, I don't know, because... If he's gonna if he's gonna be playing with an intense team, what's he what's he gonna add to his game? He's proven in the past that intensity is not his best strength. You know, he likes a ball to his feet sort of thing. So he's he's not really good at very quick quick very good at thinking quick on his feet. So what's he gonna do about that? Um but I also think if we're gonna def- look, realistically, I don't think there's a likelihood we're gonna dethrone the champions. I mean, if we got top four, I'll be jumping for joy. But there is one thing we can do to knock their confidence. And that's if, let's say, in one or two of the competitions, because what happened last year, at the very start of the cup competitions, they knocked us out one by one. Knocked us out the FA Cup, they knocked us out of the Carabao Cup. Now, we're not going to get them in the league. But what we can get them in is the cups domestically, because they give us more time to utilise the squad that we have to play more players. And potentially, obviously, the... Carabao went to United, but the FA Cup went to them. The last three FA Cup finals we have, we've taken L's every single way. Arsenal, Leicester and Liverpool. Let's get that W back in SW6 and let's pinch off that FA Cup just to kind of, let's do a domestic double just to take away that little bit of control that they like to have. But let's say our Liverpool and Arsenal can take away the, the Premier League and someone take away from them from the Champions League. I think that from our angle, that's what we can do. We can knock their confidence just a little bit, put a nice big dirty chink in the armour. That is their empire of trophies. Let's say if they go on the full of country, I'm guessing is their plan for next year. We can take that off of them. If you take our player, we'll take two of your trophies. You take Kova, we'll take some silverware. Well, I think what's also interesting is that you're, you're going to have to make a 40 six point swing because you finished 45 points behind 
Manchester. Let me say that one more time. You Chelsea finished forty five points behind Manchester City. Like I, one more time, because it, oh it, it begs but forty five points. So we're looking at a forty six point swing at a minimum, because you know Man City only won the league on eighty nine points, which for them is quite low, but for all of us is quite reassuring. So. Let's looking at the you know looking at the state of your squad and obviously you know Lukaku probably won't be there come start this season. Bamiyang should comfortably be gone. And then there's been talks that uh, they're trying to ship him off to Saudi Arabia, but I don't know if he's going to bite the bullet on that one. Kilbali's obviously left. Um, Kante's gone. Mendy's, Mendy's gone or going almost gone. You know, so I think it's going to be quite interesting to see what you do in terms of like the forward line, but. Looking at, because let's be honest, if you want to, you'll spend whatever you need to spend to buy a player. Looking across either the league or world football, who's a striker that you would want to bring in that you think this person would get us those 25 goals minimum in the league under Pochettino that will be the start of the catalyst to kind of fire us to the title? Who are you looking for? It's hard to say because we've still got on Cuckoo coming in. <clears throat> Uncle joining as well. He's joining in two days' time. Literally, his contract starts on the 1st of July. But the last time we had a Leipzig, Leipzig player came over, it didn't go very, very well. As I've said before, the striker's market, it's if you want to go for something that's coming up, you have to be willing, willing to pay the big bucks, which we will probably have to end up doing anyway. Or we go for someone a little bit more, say, established and take them on. So someone like uh, Oshiman. I think he's been linked with Chelsea a couple of times. 200 million. 200 million. I mean, uh, whether we would... Sp- mm. We could spend that, to be really honest. You could spend it, but that, that's we what We could, it but take. that's FFP on the absolute... Absolute on our backs. Like, every inch we do, they'll be off on our backs. But it's the kind of thing that if you... But it's just the market that we're in. If you want that kind of player, you have to be willing to pay above the odds. And he... Well, the upshot is he's going to be there for ages if you're paying that kind of money. Because if he's going to be let go, no one's going to come near and touch him. That's one advantage that we have, unless he wants to leave somehow. So he's probably one of a few, if only players, I think is realistically likely to come over to us paying that money. No other club would let... No other club, I think, is going to trust in us to kind of taken away with what they've done last few months, I'm gonna the last pro- six months where we kind of mess a few players around. I'm going to propose a crazy option. And Craig, I want to know your opinion on this one. I know it's highly unlikely, but I feel like it could be the best solution for all parties concerned. 40 million and Lukaku for Harry Kane. Now I know Spurs and Tottenham do, sorry, they are the same thing. Spurs and Chelsea do not do Business, I mean, Tottenham, Tottenham, Spurs and Tottenham do not do business with each other. I'm saying the same. Why do I keep doing that? Spurs and Tottenham, (laughs) Spurs and Chelsea do not do business with each other traditionally. But what would you think about that as a swap deal option? So, if 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 Chelsea get Harry Kane, if it happened, you have to kind of as contenders because he's he's a goal scorer. He's, in, 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 a poor, in a poor Tottenham team last season he scored 30 odd goals imagine how many goals he would score in the Chelsea team with the right service with Key Enzo words. passing the ball to him <laughs> uh, the right Sterling St- feeding him feeding him the balls and, and he would score an awful lot of goals there he would definitely break Shiro's record if he went to Chelsea we'll 100%. take it well Spurs won't <laughs> but I know Tottenham already they're not going to 
they're not Daniel Levy is the hardest negotiator to deal with in world football. I don't, him and the Napoli president are the yeah, hardest the negotiators to deal with. So well, that will yeah. never ever happen. Let's be real, never going to happen. Bayern, right. Bayern are testing the waters, though. They Bayern are, testing the waters. They are testing waters. I mean, he was one of he was one person I thought who I, I definitely like. I'm not. I would never say no to having Harry Kane at the club. I don't think anyone would say no to Harry Kane in the club. The issue is, like you said, is if he would actually be like be let to go. Would he let him go to an, a fierce rival, especially in London? All right, Mark, you what do you think about that as an option of a swap? To, may, maybe chucking in one extra Chelsea player. So maybe, uh, has Ziyech left yet? He should do, he should be. Well, if he hasn't left, Ziyech, and for good measure, Conor Gallagher, 40 million plus the, <laughs> and Lukaku for Harry Kane. What do you think that of, like, obviously ignoring the other two players, what do you think about the option or the possibility of that as a swap deal? Yeah, it's never going to happen. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, from one relegation team, you know, candidate to another, it seems at this at this stage, like, you know, but um, it always but, nice but, to you, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a decent team, um, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but no, it's just it's, it's not going to happen, is it? Like, you know, if if we're being if we're being totally honest, there are a bunch of strikers Chelsea could sign, and they will spend money that inevitably. Um, you know, I I think Nkuku is a cracking signing personally, and you know, I think he could actually fit the the gap he he is a he is a better he is a better lone striker than Havertz ever would have been in that regard like and you know to me like he he just what well, you know Timo Werner seemed quite confident when he was at Leipzig too but but you know I I think the thing about Nkuku is he just he, he seems to have a whole mix to his game the, the ability to finish the ability to pass the ability to get himself in the right position can play as a lone striker can play as a number 10. I, I think NQQ is a great signing. I think under Poch, he'll do, he'll do a great job. And I think I think it puts Chelsea in a situation where they can either go out and get uh, an all-out striker, you know, a, a, a number nine who, you know, would be of the, the Harry Kane mould but isn't going to be Harry Kane. Um, or they could play the, you know, replace Kai Havertz and have this kind of, you know, fluctuation between Nkuku and whoever that is. Or, you know, this Jackson kid could be the the kind of, is he going to be good enough to score 20 goals in these first league season? Probably not, but him and Nkuku between them might be able to do the job, right, to to get Chelsea the goals. But look, I, I, I think it's controversial, but if I had Chelsea's checkbook and I was making a purchase, I'd sign Evan Ferguson from Brighton. Mm. I, I think he's quality. I think he's an out-and-out striker. I think, you know, he's only getting better and better. Um, and I think he fits the bill as a as a solid number nine. Now, do I think Chelsea will do it? Probably not. But he would he would probably be my candidate in that kind of 30 to 50 million ballpark. Evan Ferguson would be the one. I mean, Jack Jackson, he got 12 goals last season in the league. Um, he got 10 in his last 11 games, which is actually quite good for the run-in. So he looks promising, but Evan Ferguson would be the truth. He is the guy that I'm glad Brighton have kept hold of. Again, that will probably cost you around that 80 to 100 million pound mark to get the conversation started Euro, with Brighton. Because of Europe as well. No, he signed a new contract. He signed a new contract recently, so he's definitely one for the future. And for him to trade Brighton for Chelsea, you'd have to present him with a very interesting project because if we're looking at both teams, if we're being objectively honest, they're on the up 
and you guys are kind of there. You're not on the down. You're just there, yeah. flat line in the middle. You know, you know when I when I, when we screenshot the Premier League table from last season, we can't see you, flat line. So, but we can see Brighton and we can see Tottenham. We can't see Chelsea. You're not even in, not even in that. And you're not in that first page. We have to keep scrolling, which which is not acceptable <laughs> for no, Chelsea. Not, not great. So, like. I guess as a final thing, obviously we know that, you know, you look, you're saying David Raya coming in as, as a competition in goal would be quite good. A, a, a goal scoring striker and shifting Lukaku would be key, whether it be an Evan Ferguson, whether it be a Victor Osherman, whether it be an unrealistic Harry Kane, but we can all dream because he doesn't want to leave England. Even though Alan Shearer would personally drive him to the airport, mate, we all would. We would all drive <laughs> him to the airport. He can sit on my back if we want, like a piggyback him to the airport and get him out of the country. But... <laughs> I don't think he wants to leave. And I think that creates a market. I, I would say that Harry Kane will probably move on from Tottenham near the end of the window. I think that's going to be a late deal if it's done, mainly because I think there's other transfers that have to take place first before it's likely to happen. And also I think if him and his brother play it smarter this time around, they can get a deal this summer. They just have to play it a lot smarter. If they want to go somewhere, and Man United have a massive gaping hole up front, but they need something and they would want a strong striker to make that push on to the next season. Man City don't need him, but you know what? I'd go buy him anyway. Who can, I, I would just, just for the sake of it, why'd you guys sign Kane? Why not? Yeah. Well, you have Alvarez and I'll just buy him anyway. You can't, so no one else can? So no one else can have him. I would do that. If they may I was take him on a Man three City. in the summer. Yeah, they may there's take also him on that. A three next summer. So they, they could wait. But if, if you're Kane, do you want to have one, one more season at Tottenham? Do you really want to do go? Uh, probably not. Saying this the past two years. Yeah, I know, but we, we'll see. He's got one year left now. So he's finally at that crucial point where you can actually kind of manipulate things and get it the way he wants. But looking at your, your front players, so Nkunku, Sterling, maybe Pulisic, but likely he might be going. Mudrik, Madikele, and Jackson, how many goals are you expecting from them with the viewpoint of this is going to take us to the to the Premier League title? With no Europe to distract us, this is what we need for the Premier League title. That's five players. Five players. How many goals are you expecting from those five? Collectively? Let's go individually. Let's start with Raheem Sterling. How many goals from him? I think he was our top scorer last year and he got like what, five. So realistically, he needs to be getting, he needs to be hitting at least 15. 15 for Sterling. Craig, how many would you 15. think Sterling needs to bang next season to be for his to be a success? 19. 18, 19. All right, let's go to Jackson, the new guy. 10. 10. First season's not bad. 10. 10 as well. Uh, let's look at Mihailo Madrid. He's got, he's got a lot of ground to move up and he's had six months. About 17, 18. Goals, some more goals from Madrid. Six months. Six months. Oh, she's saying more goals from Madrid than Six months. Six months. Oh, okay. 15 to 18. Uh, if, if he gets 10 goals next season, I'll be happy with that. Like, I think he needs time. He needs a lot of time. And I mean 10 goals in all comps, not in just the league. I'm saying 10 goals next season will be a good start for him. Not for the money, but for him. Okay. Christian Pulisic. 10. Maybe in the maybe. league. Okay, 10. Maybe 8. 15, 16. 16. Christopher and Kunku, what are we saying? First season in, how many goals? 20, 25. 20, 25. 19, 20. 
And it's an expectation. Wow. Was that all the five I said? Nkunku. Uh, you forgot the, mo- the other guy, the English guy, mo- Mekele. Oh, Madikele. Madikele. Uh, 12 13. Lucky 13. Okay. Damn, 12 13. You're hearing those numbers, Mark. I, I'm, I'm grimacing at the expectations of Mudrick to outscore Sterling. That frightens me. Come on, Mudrick. Yeah. On, honestly, I think, I think all you're hearing there is that the numbers that, that they're throwing out are still way too low for Chelsea to win the title, and they're not numbers that are going to get hit. So I think we can all safely assume Chelsea. <laughs> never said, <laughs> you know? I never said we were. I never said we were. Yeah. I said a dent. Yeah, I, I, I think we can dent. all safely assume that if Chelsea finish top four, it'll be a very good season. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, if I'm if I'm in Matthew's spot and I'm in Chelsea's spot, I'm looking and I'm saying, get rid of all the players that are just pointless and let Pochettino build something over a two or three year period. He can do it. He's a great coach. Like you know, he plays attacking football that's enjoyable. The fans will enjoy it. They'll get behind him. Um, and and you know, don't be worried about being in the top four this year. Be worried about being in the top four in 18 months you know you know 24 months right that i think that that you know you, you, like you said you do have a handful of good talented young players that could build up a core of a of a good squad for the future mudrix is good enzo's good madakali's good and kunku's good colwell's good um you know badia shaley's good that yeah they're, they're good core young players um you know but i i, I think I think, you know, when was the last time a team turned around a 45-point gap to win a title? It's just been a long, long time. Le- I don't Leicester. Think. Well, Leicester are an outlier and, a, and we cannot use them against, as a measure exception. for anything except for the fact that anything is possible. So Brighton could win the league next season. It would be the most unlikely thing, but it's not the most impossible thing because they have all the pieces to do it. They just require the rest of us to absolutely capitulate at key points in the season. Not knocking Leicester's win, but that's literally what happened. So it is what it is. Yeah. And they were the most they were the most they were the second most consistent team behind Arsenal. Except we we choked. Anyway, so moving to Arsenal. Speaking of Arsenal. Yeah. Um very much the the I have to say this before we get into the nitty-gritty of, of what we need to do this coming season and and the atmosphere around the club. Edu, Mikel, Josh Papa Cronke, Stan, that's your name, uh, Richard Garlic, and all the good family at Arsenal. <laughs> you lot are on job this summer. I, I mean, I'm seeing bids. I'm seeing speculation. It's it's almost like, I don't know, how would I put it? It's almost like you're finally listening to your manager and what he actually wants and you're not going for plan B anymore. You know, I mean, how many windows did we have to suffer through plan B? One in Vlavic, got Gabriel Jesus. Gabriel Jesus was, was, was been okay for us, but how much more could Vlavic have done? One in Mudrick, got Trossard. Trossard has been okay for us, but how much more would Mudrick have done in Arsenal season with Arteta's plan? And rinse and repeat. One in Caicedo. Got Jorginho. How much better would... You see where I'm going with this? And finally, <laughs> he, he put his foot down and he said, my number one target for this window is Declan Rice. Now, it's not done. They're still working out the specifics on how much of that 100 rising to 105 million West Ham get up front and how soon because they're asking for a lot. And David Sullivan, please, 
the love of God, can you just be a bit more reasonable? Let the man go, please. I'm not asking for much. Just accept whatever you were accepting. Like, just accept it. We will happily give you a cut price deal for Nicolas Pepe, um, Nuno <laughs> Tavares, Rob Holding, and Mohamed Elneny to help bolster up your squad. Whichever one you want, all four, twenty million pounds, you can have it. Like, um, but but in all seriousness, like I've been really impressed with how we have moved this window, and also it's not over yet. So there's been some reliably placed based reliably placed people that have said that Arsenal are still looking to do more outside of the Havertz, which is confirmed, Rice, which is almost there. Just a few final things to go. Timber, which reports coming out of Ajax today, has said that that is the fees have been agreed and they're going to get the medicals and stuff sorted out. Outside of those three, there's more coming. That's what <laughs> I've heard. I'm excited. I don't know how much more it will be or what that looks like, but I'm excited. But let's let's start with you, Craig. So looking at how we ended the season, five points behind Man City, which on reflection doesn't look so bad. In context of the season, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a disappointment and a, and a bit of a capitulation. In context of Arsenal for the last four years, it's a great end result, us mm. getting close, us kind of re-establishing ourselves at the big boys table again. Yeah. Although we've still got another table to get to which the other two teams on this podcast have reached which is Champions League glory but that that's coming I'm not saying this coming season but it's coming soon but for you looking at Arsenal the business we've done so far the rumours that are bubbling away how happy are you with the directness and the purpose of which this window has been handled with? I'm, I'm shocked the other windows we wait until the last minute to, to buy like last minute shopping to, like when you're going Christmas shopping you do last minute shopping to buy the players we want this summer Edu and um and Arteta, Arteta said, "I want these players, get them, so I want them ready for preseason. So we go when they're going to America, when they're going to America for preseason. Mm. So he wants these players for preseason. So I think he's done a good job. I think that, like obviously last season we finished five points behind Man City. To be honest with you, we were top for a long t- for almost the whole season. We were top of the league. Only in um I think it was April we capitulated a little bit. We lost form at the wrong time." It can happen to any team. Man City are good. They've done it to Liverpool, done it to us. So they were they were just chasing us from from from. from they just knew that they were gonna get where they need to get to. So losing to the trouble winners is not a bad thing. At the end of the day, it's not a bad thing. We know we should have won the league, but looking back now, I think Arteta would have learned a lot from last season as well from losing the league. He would have said, you know what, I need this, I need I needed certain players. He can't just rely on 11 players in the squad. He needs a big squad. Plus, we're playing Champions League as well. And we've got cup competitions as well to play in as well. So, he has to know how to fully rotate the squad. So, if we have a game on a Wednesday, Champions League, mostly Tuesday, Wednesday, most likely we're going to have games on Sunday, Sunday, Monday. Or So, he's going to have to know how to um give, like, rotate. Say one week, um for example, say Havertz plays in the Champions League and he can't play on the on the Sunday. You're gonna have someone like a Vieira or Smith Rowe who can jump in and play that match, or even like if a Nelson can come in and play for Saka, if Saka's tired or whatever. Mm. Then you got a Trossard, Trossard can come in from Martinelli, and then you have to start using some of your young players as well because, like, you got the youth who are doing who done quite well in the in the youth um, youth cup last season, got to the final, they lost to West Ham, but they've got some good young players coming through as well. So it it would be nice to see some of them playing in like in the cup competition just to give them that experience. And then take it from there, I would say. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how things pan out. We've got lots of, obviously, the news broke today. 
um, by the great David Ornstein. He was having a cracking summer. He's making Fabrizio, here we go, look like Mario and not in a good way. But um, yeah, he's announced that Ethan Wanieri, he's one of our young promising players who got a, a rare start in the Premier League aged, I think, 15 or 16. He might be, is likely to be staying on, which is very exciting and one that news that a lot of fans were concerned about because he is a very good, very promising young player. One that we weren't sure what was going to happen. There was talk of Chelsea and others looking to snoop around. But then actually what's interesting with the article is that he said that the, the player never wanted to leave anyway. I was never looking to leave, which shocks all of us. And I don't know if it, what's why that was not communicated earlier, but it's fine. It's going to sign and stay. So we move. But looking at the moves that have been done by Arsenal, the players coming in, potentials, what do you think is the likely shift in shape and system going into next season? Because I'm very intrigued to see how Arteta is likely to utilise um, Rice, once confirmed, obviously, because he's not our player yet, but he's almost our player. Rice, Havertz, and potentially Timber, but I can see that Timber's probably been brought in to be a rotation option for White and uh, Tomiyasu. But how do you think Arteta is going to utilise Rice and Havertz, especially if Thomas Partey doesn't end up leaving? Well, he could play he could play Partey and Rice together in that midfield with Odegaard as number 10, and then have Havertz as like a backup, backup number, number eight. Or... He could play Rice, Havertz, and and Odegaard as a multiple three, but then it, but then Rice would have to be more of the holder, and Havertz and uh, no, Havertz are number eight, and and um, Odegaard is the Odegaard is number ten. Yeah, it, it's very interesting to see how he how he puts it puts that that midfield together. Yeah, but I, I would love to see I, I would love to see Rice and and um. And Partey in that midfield, I think with, with, with Partey's experience, Rice can learn a lot from Partey, and Partey can learn a lot from Rice. I know Partey's an older player, but Rice can give him that kind of that youth, that legs that Partey kind of lost last season, got a bit leggy toward the end of the season. So, if if, if for example Partey's injured, then he wouldn't be worried as much that Partey's injured. Have Rice that can step in, and you got Jorginho who can come off with this experience as well. So, it's, it, it's looking, it's looking, very, it's going to look very interesting to see what happens this summer. Yeah, season coming. It'll be interesting. I think the biggest thing um, Partey can learn from Dex's advice is how to stay fit throughout a whole bloody season. It's not, not really difficult. It's <laughs> that you get paid money to to work in your job. You shouldn't be off sick from your job. But Mark, I want, I want to throw this to you because I've been having a lot of thoughts about how Arteta is going to utilise the team. Obviously, what's really interesting with Kai Havertz joining Arsenal, and there's a part two to that. I'm coming for you with this, Matthew. I'm coming for you this one, but I'm going to just talk about part one and Arteta's comments on on, on Havertz and saying how he's going to, he sees him as a midfielder and he's going to use him as a midfielder, which is probably a bit of a surprise to many people. I thought we we're bringing him in as potentially like a false false nine striker to add elements of what Jesus adds with something different. But what's your thoughts on the potential tactical utilization of Havertz and Rice in an Arsenal midfield alongside Erdegaard and what that could do in terms of our attacking output? next season well we, we've all we've all said that that Mikel Arteta is a is a brilliant tactician and he understands football in a way in which you know many people don't and and and, and, I, and I like that I, I like that he sees something in a player that you know wants to be part of the club that feels like that's his best position where he will be best utilized and the manager sees the same thing feels the same thing and thinks he's worth the 65 million pound layout like and that's a and that's a big statement from Arsenal um that that they 
they're basically saying Chelsea have done something wrong with this guy, but he's still got the potential to be one of the the better players, um, you know, in in the league or in his position, and we were willing to put our money where our mouth is and and utilize that. Like, don't get me wrong, Kai Havertz is a very talented, creative player who has looked out of confidence um, and not happy um, and. And some players are just confidence players. But, like, you also look at Joe, Joe Ellington, right? Like, he was, you know, mm-hmm. let's just be straight, a bang average center forward at best. Like, you know, and, you know, last season was so good in midfield that he played for Brazil at the end of the year there in their, in their last set of internationals and scored. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. so, like, you know, you, there is there is something in being able to have that eye and and see that but then you know on top of that obviously Declan Rice is a massive statement you know to spend 100 million pounds on any player is a is a huge huge statement for a football club to make and and for Arsenal to spend 100 million pounds on Declan Rice is a huge statement and, and maybe we'll get to this in a little bit more detail later but the the big the big I guess challenge for me in all of this is are Arsenal spending so much money but not actually solving the big Arsenal problem, which, you know, I think in my eyes is, is a center forward who can score 25 goals in a season in the Premier League, at least. Um, you know, I, I don't think Jesus is that striker. I maybe worry that Arteta does think that Jesus is that striker. And that might be quite where Arsenal falls short is, is, is in a, in a striker that can go and get, you know, 25 goals, you know, no, no doubt. Now, look, there, there is, there is some rumors still, and like Arsenal still have money to spend, and it might be that the way they do it is they they punt on a sort of thirty to fifty million pound centre forward instead of the marquee eighty to hundred million pound centre forward, and hope that that guy you know is able to to bang in the goals um, and 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 kind of do it at Arsenal. But you have to say we like the, we like what we're seeing from an Arsenal perspective to move them towards strengthening um, for the title. Yeah, I, 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 I'm holding off on that, that striker talk for now because I've come prepared and actually I think we're going to have a very good discussion on that. But I do want to talk a bit more about Kai Havertz and um, you know his move from southwest London to north London, Wait, from the Blues where he won trophies to the Reds where he's going to win even more trophies. But um, he made a very interesting comment. I think, like what you said, uh, Mark, about players and the fit and him not and him looking not quite as happy at Chelsea as he did at Arsenal. I think there's been a very funny picture online, which if you're watching, you can see it right here, right now, of the comparing Kai Havertz's Chelsea profile picture from last season to his picture at Arsenal and the difference in his face muscles. I mean, I've never seen the boy smile more in all my life <laughs> since he's joined Arsenal than he was uh, when he was at, at Chelsea. And there's also a funny picture of his dogs on Instagram where they're all wearing Arsenal kits over the past few years, which some fans are running a muck with. No, it's, he, he, did, he's, he didn't buy the kits. He clearly got them from players over the years, which you can interpret that as you wish. It might be seen as a bit rude, but it's fine. It's a different culture. I think it's a bit humorous that he's showing that he's part of the Arsenal family. And family is the operative word. And it's a word that he used in his announcement video in the interview about joining Arsenal. And he said that he's really excited to be part of the family. He loves the family feel in the club and he can't wait to kind of be a part of it. And he's really excited to join this winning culture and this winning mentality that he sees emanating from Arsenal and was seeing throughout last season. I think for you, um, Matthew, when you hear those kind of comments from a player who 
let's be honest, he has been like Marmite. I did say last season, and I stand by it, that he's, he was a bigger flop than Nicola Pepe when you count the numbers to the output. And I do stand by that, even though he did win you uh, two trophies, three trophies for his goals and contributions in, in, in his time at Chelsea. But I still think from an outlay perspective versus expectations, um, he has he did flop at Chelsea overall. But like, how do you feel about that perception of him seeing Arsenal as more of a family club? And what do you kind of... I don't want to say what do you hope he's going to do next season because it might kind of be a bit like if he does really well, you'll be bittersweet. But what are you sort of kind of viewing he might do next year at Arsenal? Well, first of all, if a workplace says family, run away. So first of all, that's that. Um, look, if he wants to go, he wants to go. It was clear as day for the longest time that he was very frustrated. And that's not to say the fans weren't as well. It hasn't worked out the way that we he really wanted it. And if he wants to play in midfield, he's got to get behind the queue, get behind the queue of a lot of players that want to get into that hole. He, he can get there. He was willing to get there for a while. None of the managers were ever going to, going to put him there. So, look, I'm going to be growing about it. He wants to be there, and we needed to shift off a big off big wage off the bill. So you know what? Good luck to you. You're not going to win any trophies anytime soon. But look, it's nice to see you're happy. Nice to see you're going to be get that big smile on your face and show the potential that it's all, but on the player side of things, it's a bit crushing where I'm going to get, no, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be nice. Gonna be nice. It's, I'm going to be nice. It's going to be, it's crushing to see a, a talent as good as him. Cause he's still very, very young with a lot to prove that it hasn't worked out in your club, which is always really, really upsetting. You know, it's, he's clearly got a lot that he can show. What are you looking at me in that for? Well, I mean, you saying he's not going to win anything for a long, long time. I'm sorry, but... I said for a year? A year? I mean, he's more likely to win stuff at Arsenal than he will at Chelsea. Yeah? Should I pay a bet on it? 20 quid? 20? I'll put a 50 on it. I'm not very rich. I work in the school. No, actually not. No, no, no. no. I'll, do, I'll do one better. We're going to do another, another swear, shirt swap deal. So, Kai Havertz will win a trophy at Arsenal before... Any player at Chelsea wins a trophy at Arsenal, a trophy for Chelsea. So Arsenal win, will win silverware next season. You won't. Right. And when bet. I win, you'll buy me a Kai Havertz 29 shirt. And if you win and we don't win anything and you win something, then I will buy you a Nkunku, whatever his number is, shirt. You think? That's a deal. It's a deal. Back it. Deal. <laughs> Podcast, you've witnessed that. <laughs> Come on. Best, I'm best start. Hey, I'm, best I'm what, start. I'm what, I'm one for one right now. I'll be two for two coming. Yes, <laughs> better start looking into the... Marcus is long. Look at Marcus's face. Better start looking in the savings. Um, yeah, but no, on a serious note though, like it's sad that it's another player. Look, we've been here before with Salah. We've been here before with De Bruyne and look what happened with both of them. Now, I know we were successful after they left, but going what how you said of all those players that you had against the players you could have had, what more could we have done if we kept those players? Mm. What more? How much more powerful would we be? How much more successful would we be? How many more? How? What? It's always a case of what if. What more players could we we be able to bring with a standard of having those two players, knowing where they're going to go in the future? What if? What if? What if? And but look, they all. It's and that's my biggest fear is that he'll go to another rival, a close rival, and do absolute bits, which he's more than capable of doing. I'm just, you know, I'm. It's it's gonna be good to see him playing well and being happy. It's sad that it wasn't with you, but I'm not gonna hold any blame against the club necessarily. It was it wasn't working. 
Um, you could say we're playing him in the wrong position. You could also say that he wasn't trying enough. We'll agree to disagree. We'll end it at that. So look, eight, 12 months from here, we'll see who's wearing the Nkunku or the half shirt, I suppose. So um, we'll see. So good luck, but not not on those games where we played Chelsea in the, twice a year. Not too much good luck on those games, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'll tell you what, when we do play against Chelsea, we will be coming for you and we will be gunning for you. And I expect him to do something nice. I don't think he'll celebrate. Not expecting that, but I think he'll do something nice against against you guys. I want to end on one little thing. Well, before we get into the real meeting, meeting, meet and drink of this conversation. But for you, Craig, looking at Kai Havertz, King Kai, as he might be called, we'll see. But um, how many goals... And assists, are you hoping for from him for it to be seen as a successful year at Arsenal? Considering that if what Arteta says is true, and we know Arteta is one to bend the truth when it suits him uh, on more than one occasion, and he does play in that attacking eight position, which will be where Xhaka was, as Xhaka is likely to be no longer an Arsenal player come the start of the season. But what are you expecting from him numbers-wise? Maybe 15, 16 goals. And I think for assists, you'll get maybe 10, 11 assists. How many goals? 16. 16 and 10, 11 assists. Okay. Um, Mark, what are you expecting from Kai Havertz from an Arsenal perspective in terms of numbers? Um, I think he's playing midfield. 10 goals, 10 assists would be good. Yeah, 10 goals, 10 assists. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for something between that 10 because Xhaka got what seven something like seven goals something like that so I'm I'm expecting he'll probably we'd want him to double Xhaka's output so I'd say at least 14 goals in the league and then assist wise I'd you know give me eight eight maybe between eight to 12 assists next season um in the league and I think that'd be a great thing you have to to remember is that that's what Odegaard did last year, and he had an absolutely top, top class season. So if if Havertz is producing 15 goals and eight assists, he's going to have to be performing at the level that Odegaard is performing from midfield next um, this coming season. And that brings me right on to the topic that I have been really excited to talk about, which is about goals. Because you, you, you've made a great point about the need for Arsenal to get a striker that 2025 goal a season striker to probably kind of give us that extra edge in the pursuit of the title. But I actually disagree. And I disagree because the Premier League history tells me tells me that it might not necessarily be necessary. And so I'm going to actually go through the... I've picked out four players at random per team for the teams that have won the league. Um, I've actually just picked out three particular teams and an Arsenal from last season. So I've started off with Leicester, 16-17 season. They had uh, the four players I'm looking at is Vardy, Mahrez, Okazaki and Mark Albrighton. So I wanted to have strikers and a midfielder. And so Vardy played 36 games, got 24 goals and six assists. All stats from the Premier So if they're incorrect, sue them, not me. Um Mares played 37 games, got 17 goals, 11 assists. Okazaki, 36 games, five goals, no assists. And Albrighton in 38 games, got two goals, six assists. It's quite nice, but you know, only Vardy is the only one who got 20 goals. But you know, if you you know, if you, people you actually combine the goal 
goal assists, goal contributions and combine them both. But I'm keeping them separate for argument's sake. Liverpool's 19-20 success. Firmino, 38 games, 9 goals, 8 assists. Mane, 35 games, 18 goals, 7 assists. Salah, 34, 19 goals, 10 assists. Wijnaldum, 37, 4 goals, 0 assists. Of course, Man City from this past season, they ended up with Haaland on 35 goals, uh, 35 games, sorry, 36 goals, 8 assists. Jack Grealish, 28 games, 5 goals, 7 assists. Pathetic. Mahrez, 30 games, 5 goals, 10 assists. And De Bruyne, 32 games, 7 goals, 16 assists. And in comparison for Arsenal from last season, Jesus, 26 goals, 26 games. 11 goals, 6 assists. Saka, 38 games, 14 goals, 11 assists. Erdegaard, 37 games, 15 goals, 7 assists. Martinelli, 36 goal, thirty-six appearances, 15 goals, 5 assists. And I chucked in Nketiah just for good measure. And he played 30 games and got 4 goals and 1 assist. All Premier League stats for each of the respective teams. Now, for me, on the, on the debate in terms of like, the striker thing, I look at it and I think, and I, and that's probably where Arteta's thinking as well. It's very difficult to get a 20 plus goal a season striker without breaking the bank. But if you can get enough players getting 10, 12, 13 goals a season, like if you think about our attacking spread of options, if Smith Rowe can come in and chip in with 10 goals next season, if Fabio Vieira can chip in with about eight to 10 goals next season, if Kai Havertz can get those 14 goals, which I'm hoping for, if Erdegaard can push his numbers up to get to between 18 to 20, because he should, he can do it. So that'll be what I'll be hoping for from him next season. If Saka can, can go from 14 to 18 to 20 goals next season, and then if Martinelli can do the same, and then if Jesus can be bothered to get 15 goals, like that would be a really good spread. And I think that would be quite, that would put us in the ballpark of what Liverpool had in 1920 in terms of like goal, um, goal spread amongst the front, the front players. And I think that would, might be enough to do it. Plus you've got your Rices coming in with, maybe chipping in with five goals for his new club. Um, but I want to throw it to you, Matthew first, then Craig, then I'll come back to you, Mark, on that point. What do you think in terms of like in that race for the title, do you think having that marquee number nine, that that bagsman, that 25 plus goal season striker, is that essential? Now, obviously, I, I got to add this in as a quick little caveat. I am ignoring the fact that Erling Haaland has now ruined the league for all of us and probably will require some recalculation on these numbers. But putting the, the freak of nature to one side, do you think that is required now, a 25 quarter season striker? Not necessarily, because the game's moved on from, the game's moved on from then. And now you've got goals coming, especially now in the system where you've got wing backs, so you can play the back three. Goal, you've got literally got, it's like having seven attackers, because the goals literally come from mainly on the channels, occasionally through the middle, never really from the back. So the whole point of having a striker that bags you 25 plus goals, essentially to win the title, it's nice to have, but I would much rather have a set amount of players, seven, let's say six or seven players that can chip in, like you said, 10 goals a piece. That's more than enough to take up to a title striker. That's, if that striker get injured, if, if your main striker get in, gets injured and you're chucking one that's chucking in maybe 15, you're still having that good spread of 10 all around. Mm. If you look back at, say, look at when 
I'll throw it back a little bit further now. Look at 0405 when Chelsea won. Drogba was not the top scoring striker in the league. He barely broke even his first couple of seasons. But we had goals coming from Robin. We had goals coming from 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 Lampard. Yes, we had goals coming from Drogba. We all, but we also had goals coming from our defence. Other teams, you know, like like some United. Yes, you had Rooney. You had Ronaldo. You had Tevez. You had Nani. You had. Um, you had Anderson, even going to the likes of Arsenal. If it wasn't Henri, it was, say, I don't know, Pires. It was Fabregas. It was Lundberg. It was Burkamp. The like, only thing I'll say with the Arsenal Man United example, both squads had players who got 20 plus goals. That's mm. the only thing I'd say that kind of. <laughs> but, but, they, but they weren't number nines. Strictly, strictly. They could play there. I mean, uh, let, ugh, Omri was a striker. Played, yeah. Rooney played through the middle. Tevez played. Through the middle, Ronaldo got in the middle and got. But they goals, still, so. but they kind of think. But remember, the likes of when we started on side. But yeah, not anymore. Especially now, how games have moved on. Look at Harry Kane this year. He bagged thirty, and they finished out of a, out of Europe. Even likes of um, Ivan Tony and Brentford, he was their top scorer with nearly twenty goals, and they, well, they got their they had a terrific season, finishing in the top half of the table. It's the way the game goes now. Doesn't it's kind of narrow minded to require to have that one striker. Because there's no point if he gets injured, there's no point if he's out of form. You're going to need other players kind of building up the slack to take on the strain of scoring more more goals. I think it was a goal-scoring record this season, mainly because of him. The freak. But yeah, it's it's nice to have. But the way the games move forward, I don't think it's essential to have. So not necessarily, I think. Right. I feel like nowadays, the way our teams play now, the striker's job is not the same like it was back in the day. Nowadays, you got the, most teams, like the goals get spread around. Like at Arsenal last season, all the goals are spread around. So all the goals, was the top of the goal scorer last season, he scored all the goals, most of the majority of the goals. Saka as well scored the majority of the goals. Martinez scored the majority of the goals as well. So I feel like you don't really need to have a successful number nine now to score 25, 30 goals now. But the question is, is it needed to win the league? Considering who we're up against and that freak of nature called Erling Haaland, is it needed to win the league? Because that's what the question is. It's not, is it needed? It's, is it needed to win the league in this country? And while you ponder that, Mark, what's your counter to my position? Facts are facts. That Every season that you named, pretty much, each one of them teams had a player that scored 20 goals. 19 is basically 20. Liverpool had two. <laughs> <laughs> 19 Liverpool is 19. Had... It's not 20. Let's... <laughs> 19, is, 19 is basically 20. And Liverpool had two that scored 19. So as far as I, as far as I view it, you, you, don't, you don't need a number nine. You need an attacking player who is able to score 25 goals. Like that, that's what you need. Like Along with uh, another bunch of players that can contribute 15 to 20 but the facts are facts you you know at the end of the day even the Vardy season that you named he scored 24 goals like you know in the in the Leicester season there's one exception and that was when Man City won the title not this year but last year and their top scorer was Kevin De Bruyne with 15 goals and Mm. they didn't have an out-and-out striker and they spread the goals among their team and they are fundamentally one of the best teams to ever play in England and like Gundogan got 15 and De Bruyne got 15 and there was there was a mix but even the year before that when liverpool had the two who got nine, 19 and 18 and won the league title sterling scored 20 goals and man city didn't win the league title i think that the in this modern day market 
where Man City have a striker that's going to get 30 goals halfway through the season, you, you, need a, you need a striker or an attacking player that can contribute and compete in the same way, if not two. Now, the question for Arsenal is, are Martinelli and Saka ready to step up and add seven more goals each to their, their output to be able to be them two players that, that tech Arsenal beyond? Because is, is someone really going to sit here and tell me Haaland's getting less than 30 goals next year? He's not. Like, unless he gets injured, Erlen Haaland is scoring at least 30 goals in the Premier League again next year. Like, fact. So if you want to compete with Man City, you need to be able to, you need to be able to, at the very least, be getting close to or as many goals as they're getting. And to compensate for Haaland's 36, you need two players that are getting 20 goals. Just just alone to compensate from ha- for Haaland. So I think this season, Martinelli and Saka would be the balancing act of Erlen Haaland as they were last year, but Gabriel Jesus fell short because he's just not good enough. And the Arsenal need a third in that mix, along with, uh, because I think Odegaard's season was exceptional, but I think Havertz takes some of the pressure off of Odegaard from a creative perspective that between them, if they get 20 goals in the in the league, they're, they're, they're going to contribute in the games that they play. Odegaard, I don't know if he can have as good a season, personally. Maybe he can, but I'm, I'm not sure. But I think that Havertz thinking takes a level of the pressure off. But I still think even if, if we say, you know, Saka gets up to 20, Martinelli gets up to 20, I, I still think Arsenal need another player that can also say, look, I'm going to bang between 15 and 17 in that attack. And I don't think that's Jesus, personally. Again, could be wrong, but that, that's my feeling. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a uh, it's up for debate, and we'll we'll, we'll see. I I do think um, Saka and Martinelli will both get close to twenty goals in the league next season. I think the way how they both ended the season, well, obviously Martinelli got clamped by Caicedo, who, if he wants to really apologise, should come and wear red and white next season. That would be the best apology you could give all of us. Um, but I think both of them will push a bit harder to get that. I know Saka had an injury going into the end of the season. So his, his numbers kind of dropped off a little bit and because he was tracking to get that last year, but kind of fell off a little bit. As for Jesus, well, he's got a lot to prove. I think he, he proved us a lot wrong in a lot of things he could do from his all-round contribution, his dribbling, his directness, his skill, his flair. The numbers need to follow because 11 goals, considering he was injured for a good chunk of it, um, is not bad. But some of the chances he missed, you know, he can do better. Erdegaard's the same. 15 league goals look quite good, but some of the chances that he missed some really guilt-edged chances and some of the finishes he did, considering the goals he scored, he could have easily got 20 goals last season. And I mean easily, which considering what he did last year, as in the previous season, that, you know, the 15 he got this year was a surprise. But when you look at some of those chances missed, you think you could have got 20 goals comfortably and really rivaled your, your countryman for player of the season, even though it should and it was always going to go to the Brock Lesnar of football. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how they all do, go. But And like I said, there, there's still this rumour of Arsenal might have more business, business in the fire. There's been no talk about any strikers linked to Arsenal, which is weird. The closest to that, who's not a striker, but is Musa Diaby as a wide player, which if he was to come into Arsenal, would one, give Saka a rotation option, but two, could mean that you might try Martinelli centrally, which is what a lot of fans want. And maybe he might be that 20 goal a season player and Jesus can play out on the wing because 
we ended last season very interestingly, and I'll say this to kind of like wrap up for, the, for today, but one of the things I found quite interesting of Arsenal's uh, 11 in the back couple of games in the season, when we had Partey playing right back, we had, at times in the game, we had Jesus drifting out to the right wing and it was Martinelli or Saka that was the most central player. And then obviously Xhaka rediscovered his license to run forward and was getting further into the box. So potentially next season, we could get start a game with um, a Martinelli centre-forward, Jesus off the left, with Havertz and... Uh, Havertz, Erdegaard and Declan Rice as your three, with Partey right back, Gabriel, uh, Saliba and White as your as your other defensive players. And then in possession, it turns into a back three with Partey and Rice next to each other and Erdegaard and Havertz pushed right up the pitch. And then um, with Saka, Martinelli kind of and Jesus all interchanging positions, which could become really interesting if that they pull it off. Because they did that last game of the season. We did see those combinations working. And I'm wondering if that's what Arteta's thinking. And that might leave Arsenal open to making a kind of deal for someone like Caicedo to sort of move Partey on and have someone who could comfortably drift into those right back areas. Might explain why we're looking at Timber as a potential player that could sit in play right back and invert that side rather than just inverting from Sinchenko's side. So lots of possibilities, but you're right, Mark. I think the key thing is going to be the goals and Jesus needs to get more than 11 goals next season. He did win me my, my little wager. So I'm happy about mm-hmm. that. He, he did, did outscore, he did outscore Jarwin and Nunez, but I don't think that's going to be the case this coming season. Nunez will be firing properly and Jesus, if you want to win again for us and for everyone concerned, you might need to hit 20, mate. Because Nunes is going to hit at least 15 next season. And I'm going to say that now on record. He's going to get at least 15 goals next season. Possibly a lot more. But he's going to get at least 15 in the league. That's that's my at, prediction for Nunes. At, at this stage, um, you, you mentioned that there's not been too many striker links. But there is one quite prevalent link that's coming out of Italy and, and Italian newspapers at the moment that um, Arsenal are actually in poor position. Um, to potentially sign Rasmus Hoisland from Atlanta. He's, I call him Baby is, Haaland. Yeah, who, who is very, you know, very closely linked to Haaland. Maybe a little too much considering the fact that he only scored nine goals last season in the league. Um, but um, but I, but I think you know, in terms of a in terms of a potential striker, could be could be an interesting option. Yeah, I mean. Me, me personally, here's how I see it working for all parties concerned, yeah? Brentford, six months loan for Nketiah, no problem. Balogun, you can stay as third choice until January, at which point you can then go on to West Ham for the rest of the season. Everyone's happy. Rasmus comes in, you buy him, happy days. Gabriel Jesus, you got one year to get 20 goals, no pressure. But if you don't get 20 goals, then we need to upgrade from you because, you know, this is Arsenal. We used to having big, big gunners up front. You know, even Adebayo for all his faults, he, he had a 31-goal season. Shocked all of us. Then he left. But hey, he did it. Van Persie did it. We know what the greats before them did, but that's the standard you're aiming to go for. We've discussed Chelsea enough. We, it's going to be a tough tough order, but you've got a good manager who who's going to be eager to repair his reputation because the PSG saga would not have gone well for Pochettino, so that's quite interesting. Liverpool, you know what to do. You've kind of you've shaken the cobwebs off of last season. You've kind of gotten the disappointment up. Your owners have found their checkbook. I think Todd Bowley might have hacked into their accounts. That's why he couldn't spend much money last season. But either way, 
we're here now. And as for Arsenal, the deal deals we're making, it clearly shows that we are prepared to stay where we are and push on. And if we do finish second again next season, I would hope that it's a two-point gap at most. At most. And then the following year, we can push on for the league. But me personally, I'm going to say this on record. I think Arsenal win the league next season. I said it last season and I'm saying it now. I think we'll win the league next season because I just think there's something special that we're building. I will confirm that belief after preseason because I want to see what I'm thinking. Arteta's thinking in terms of the, the approach with the players. I like that Smith Rowe has been bagging in goals for the under-21s and that's important for him to get his fitness, his confidence up and also his price tag up because you never know. But I, I'm quite intrigued to see what Arteta's going to do. I think Man City will come back stronger. But... um. Oh, also, Mark, you'll like this. Uh, Pep's assistant has not agreed to sign a new contract and will be and is got, moving on to another club, his long-term assistant, which makes everyone believe that Pep Guardiola will leave at the end of his contract this coming season. So, guys, we've got one more year of him, potentially one more year. So if we can knock him out this year <laughs> and beat him to the title, then everything will be restored in England all over again. And then we can have a proper, proper, like, good old-fashioned Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, maybe Chelsea fighting for the title again and Man City can just drift off into obscurity back where they belong. Um, <laughs> that's it for me. It's a good podcast. Guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Let us know what you think. Do you think Arsenal have a chance to win the league this season? Do you think Liverpool will bounce back stronger? Will Chelsea surprise everyone? And I mean everyone, including Todd Bowley, and win the league. Uh, or will it just be same old, same old for them? And by that, I mean not 12th, I mean like 4th or 5th. And lastly, who do you think is going to pick up a surprise signing this summer of a striker? And will Harry Kane swap white for red? Or blue? Or white? Or red? Decipher those clubs. And we'll see you all next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.